Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. We are delighted to have with us today Dr. Marcus Hodeling, director of the Epler-Wolf Counseling Center at Union College. Dr. Hodling is also president of the Association of University and College Counseling Center Directors. The AUCCD is the largest organization of campus mental health leaders in the world. So Marcus Hodling, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I, I have to start with the AUCCD because again, I know this group is so influential and this must have been I don't know if it was a surprising assignment, but it certainly must have been a big deal when you learned that you were elected president. I guess it was last year, was it? Yes, it was during the pandemic at a virtual conference where they announced that I was now president-elect for the year and then president for the next two years and then past president for a year. You know, it, it was exciting, but at the same time, these are my colleagues. And I guess I haven't really seen it as a super big deal because I've known many of these individuals for 15 years. I think it's more people who come up to me and say, wow, this is a pretty big assignment here where it starts to sink in for me. Yes, I was going to say you were probably pleased, maybe a little overwhelmed considering all that's been going on in college student mental health. You are certainly at the epicenter of that, both in your day to day and also in the great work that you do through this organization. There's so much that we'd love to talk to you about today. So I'll ask some questions, but please just feel free to give us comments. I think you know our audience is higher education leaders, but from presidents and their cabinets through to a lot of student affairs folks and people who are grappling with the same issues that you are, again, both at your own school and in representing the industry. So my first question is really about sort of bigger picture reflection on trends and changes that you're seeing in college student mental health this past two years. We've always got to start with what has happened since 2020, right? So if you could just talk a little bit about that, what you're seeing in terms of trends and changes. One of the few benefits that has come out of this pandemic is the implementation and the ability to use telehealth as an option for treatment. It allows for students who may be, you know, sick in their dorm room or there's a snowstorm for us and we can't get to campus, but we can still perform our role and still see the student. I think when we look at some of the quote unquote negatives that have come in the past few years, we are seeing a significant increase in anxiety across the board for our students. These students transitioned to March 15th, 2020, like everybody else did. They were remote education, but the reality is over the past two years, many of them have had to transition back into in-person learning or adapt to a hybrid model. And that's been very difficult to do. There's also been significant anxiety around COVID and around potentially catching and or spreading COVID. So these things are driving some of the increases in the utilization that we're starting to see again across counseling centers and across campuses across the country. I had a question about that. It was very difficult to really understand prevalence numbers and utilization numbers during COVID, right? Because there was so many factors that might 
influence whether a person would seek help. So in some cases, schools saw that the service demand went down. In some cases, not so. So now that we've got, not that we're at the end, but now that we've had two years to kind of look at that, what are some of your thoughts about the utilization? And it sounds to me like you're feeling like it's back up maybe pre-pandemic levels? Well, interestingly, AUCCD's report, which will be coming out publicly in, in the next few weeks, does reveal that a majority of centers did see a decrease for this past academic year. And I do think that this is related to a variety of different things. One, many campuses transitioned back to being on campus, but many of the services were still being done remotely. You would be in your office, but only offering care via telehealth. And I think that that created some issues for some students coming in. We, you know, I'll use Union as an example here. We transitioned back to campus, but also started seeing a a more hybrid model of care. And we were doing mostly in-person and then some telehealth. And then during the January month when Omicron was at its peak in New York State, we did all telehealth and then transitioned back to in-person. We are seeing a higher rate than we've seen in previous years. So I do think that the manner in which you are delivering counseling services plays a significant role in what you're going to see. Right. Great point. Let's talk a little bit about the students themselves and, and what you what changes you see. You mentioned anxiety and these levels are very high, even higher than what was the prevalence trend that we see from the Healthy Mind study year after year. Would you say this is one of the most concerning things for you and your colleagues right now? Yes, without a doubt. I think that we traditionally see anxiety and depression as the two biggest issues that students come in, come into the seek counseling services for. I would also say, and, and a lot of these things are related, is isolation. If we look at the last few years, while people have been able to connect, and I would argue that the current generation of college students are the most connected digitally of any cohort, they also are isolated and feel alone. And the pandemic has only made that worse because they can sometimes, you know, get, get kind of lost in a social media world, you know, I had a student say to me, you know, I'm surrounded by people, but I feel completely alone. And that stuck out to me as as really how lonely this student is, even though she lives with three other people, has tons of friends on social media. And I think that we also have to recognize that there's a significant loss that these students have, that this generation is facing. Our current first year students and our second year students have lost the ability to graduate under normal circumstances, the ability to have a senior year season if they played a sport or a play if they were in drama club. And then uh, the students that were, they were seniors in college when 2020 rolled around, they're gearing up for their spring sports and all of a sudden it just didn't happen. Now, obviously that isn't like a loss of a family member, but it is still a loss that is felt by these students. Right. And those kinds of activities create what we're hearing a lot about, which is sense of belonging, right? Which is the antidote to the loneliness. So is that part of this? Is that the sense of belonging that, you know, it's funny, the irony is that college campuses can so frequently and and historically have been able to provide, have pulled that back. So a lot of students are just not getting that sort of developmental period and that developmental support through these kinds of activities. And then I think, again, it must be the uncertainty of whether you will or you won't. I mean, the the going back and forth is, is tough. So you're seeing increases in anxiety. Are you 
and you're seeing increasing help-seeking behaviors, which is a good thing. Let's talk a little bit about the industry and folks like yourself and your colleagues who really, it is on your shoulders then to, to see these students. Tell us a little bit about how counseling centers are evolving. You said telehealth was a good thing. I could see that. But while this is all going on, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm I'm not living it like you are, but you're also experiencing counselor burnout. There's a lot of talk about counselors changing where they prefer to work. Counseling centers on college campuses are tough places right now, considering all the capacity issues that you have. So not to bring you down, but I I know there's a lot of problems around really being able to serve the students that come in. And and talk about the challenges of that, but also some of potentially the solutions to that and some of the things maybe you're doing there at Union. So you're you're hitting the nail right on the head right now. A counseling center used to be a place where you would work 10 months out of the year. The problems that you would see were mostly developmental in nature and maybe some roommate conflicts here and there. And every once in a while, a more serious case of depression, bipolar, something going on. The acuity with which the students are bringing in previous or or their mental health and the previous experiences they've had in therapy is increasing. And we are seeing greater turnover in both the leadership positions within counseling center directors, as well as burnout and turnover in the clinical roles as well. And I think that that, that's twofold. One, we have a lot of counseling center directors who are reaching retirement age. So one of the studies that we just did looking at, we we had 30 directors leave. So we looked at where they went and 16 of them went into retirement. What the others did were private practice. They left the field. And those are the ones that are, I think, are more concerning to me. And I think because it is a fairly demanding job when you're looking at potentially, depending on the student, keeping a student alive and working Mm -hmm. around ethics where we are built into a silo on campuses. As much as we are trying to remove all of the different silos on campus, health and counseling for the most part have a naturally built silo because there is confidentiality. And that makes it difficult when somebody calls you and says, what's going on with this student? I do think that there are solutions, but not every solution is, is perfect for every school. And, and part of it is figuring out what works for you and what works for your institution versus a, a blanket approach of, we need to do this. We're taking a quick break to thank the sponsor of this episode, Christie Campus Health, dedicated to supporting the mental health and well-being of college students. So I want to talk about service delivery, but I'd also love to get your opinion. It kind of veers into my next question about the college presidents. I'd love to get your opinion about some of the more environmental strategies. You mentioned silos. Let's talk also about what might need to change in higher ed for folks like yourself who are really trying to address this problem. I'm going to start with the model delivery because I think that that is one where there's greater control over how different schools would be able to approach this. And again, no one answer is right. You can continue with the traditional everybody gets weekly and we're not going to we're not going to squeeze you in. You're on a wait list. And I think there's a, a danger to that wait, having somebody wait two weeks to get in. So what a lot of students and a lot of schools are doing now are they're doing a triage or a consultation appointment. And then they're using either a different model. Some are called stepped care. Some may be referred to a group. 
and then you get the, the more acute students in faster. Some places have gone to just urgent care where they don't have any actual appointments. They come in as needed. So you come in, it's solution focused, and then you are ending that session and saying, call me if you need anything. There are some schools that will refer out. The hard part with that is that the community agencies are also seeing a significant increase in demand for for sessions as well. I think that you know flexibility is going to be key in what you do and, and not being so rigid. Looking at what works, when we transitioned into a model where we have walk-in hours every afternoon from one to four to get all new cases in and any crisis cases, I had a staff member who said this isn't going to work. And I asked her to give it the rest of the academic year. We had implemented it in January. And when we sat down for our planning meeting in June, she actually commented, she said, I, I don't think this is going to be a fair assessment because we weren't as busy. And when I showed her the statistics that we were actually 20% busier than we had been the previous, it just felt different because we weren't constantly being pressured to put in an intake. So I, I think it's the willingness to try is very important. As long as you're offering quality care, you're not doing anything wrong. Right. It's interesting because people are used to doing what they've been trained to do. And I would imagine, particularly with your profession, where it's a mission-oriented caring profession, if you are convinced that this is the right structure for it, it may be hard to change, right? Without a doubt. And we all, most clinicians, regardless of degree, you know, I whether we're talking about social work, marriage and family therapy, licensed mental health clinician, psychologists, we're, we're all trained for the most part in long-term care. And the reality is in a college setting, the goal needs to be a little bit more focused. And I'm not saying short-term care because I don't think it needs to be short. It can be spread out over bi-weekly sessions over the course of the academic year. If it is more acute at that point in time, doing weekly sessions at that point in time, and then moving it to bi-weekly. And it also looking at can a counseling center actually handle what is coming in? I have, I have a colleague who brought up a question and said, you know, how many people have get that call from a parent who says, my son or daughter has been in therapy for the past four years weekly, and that's what they need at your institution. And they would push back and say, is therapy actually working for this student? Because the goal of therapy is not to need therapy that long. And then there are those cases where you do need therapy that long. And I think that's where you need to say, should we be handling this on campus or should we be working with our community partners to get them off campus, but we can continue to collaborate care with that person? That's great that you guys are really experimenting with different models. And like I said, I know it's it's tough to take risks, but I think we're seeing some really interesting stuff coming out of counseling centers. I wanted to ask you about some of the environmental strategies and some changes that might need to be made in higher ed. One of the things you know that's coming out of this bizarre two-year period is, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to do things different differently and from a campus-wide perspective. So uh, one one thing I, I wanted to mention to you, because I, I saw that you had done an essay on what counseling centers wish presidents would know, which they currently don't know. And I couldn't help but think we had a convening last week of 20 college presidents around this subject entirely. And they spent two days at Georgetown and co-hosted by Howard University. And I just have to ask, what is it that you would say to that group of presidents in terms of how the campus writ large could improve 
and help you guys do your job. So I think the important part of this is a community of care. Part of it is making sure that everyone on campus, whether it be a student, whether it be an administrator, whether it be a staff member, faculty member, understand that there are a variety of resources on a college campus and that not everything needs to be referred to the counseling center. Uh, I'm going to give a, a quick example. A colleague of mine, his wife is a, a faculty member and a, stu- a very good student disappeared from class for a week when they came back. The student came up to the professor after class and said, I'm really sorry I missed class. My, I had a parent pass away. And rather than offering empathy and offering support, her first response was, do you know about the counseling center on campus? And that is something that should definitely be discussed. But the first response needs to be empathy and creating a, a community that cares about its students and not only its students, that cares about everyone on the campus. And I think that there are, you know, there are resources, abundant resources for our students. So part of what we need upper administration doing is is modeling that level of self-care, you know, taking, advocating for a mental health day for, like we did last year for students, for our faculty and staff as well. I think as college presidents and leadership, probably budget as well, they definitely need to start looking at where there are gaps and there are tools to do this. And one of those is the clinical load index, which is through Penn State. And you can have your counseling center look at where they fall in terms of peer institutions and nationally. And are you well below? Are your clinicians seeing way too many people for the resources? And then determining if you want a resource, and if so, how. Not everything needs to be through money. It could be through partnering with a local graduate school and becoming a training center as well. Also looking at the health and well-being of your, again, faculty and staff, eliminating co-pays through the insurance if you can, and increasing EAP offerings for mental health. This pandemic has been very difficult on everyone, including students and including everyone that works in higher education. So if we can make accessing or making mental health care more accessible for everyone, that's going to be a a key. Yeah, and it sounds like from the data that you had referred to, it's going to be critical. And you hear the same as we do in terms of the Pulse Point surveys. It's definitely the college student mental health has gone to the number one spot on a college president's concern. I think the difficulty is just we're in the middle of trying to figure out all the different solutions that we can apply to it. But the one silver lining is that I do believe that presidents and certainly others in student affairs do get that this is not something that the counseling center needs to be struggling with alone. That sentiment is definitely growing stronger, that community of care sentiment. And I love, obviously, to see that. You make such a good point because not everything needs to be pathologized. A lot of what you might be seeing are developmental issues that could be addressed, whether it's your professor listening to you or your coach, you think of all the different influences you have on college campuses. So I have a question about the organization. So a lot of what we're talking about and a lot of the solutions will come from continued interaction, right? Continued brainstorming among all of the folks that are are charged with improving and supporting the mental health of our students. And talk a little bit about the AUCCD. Is this organization a good place for these conversations to occur? Do you see that sort of sharing best practices is is, is something that um, would be a solution to everything we've been talking about? 
I'll start by saying, yes, AUCCD is a mouthful. It's a, it's a mouthful to say. I, I think that AUCCD is, for a college counseling center director, is probably one of, if not the most important organizations you can be a part of. Because there is the collegiality and the sharing of information, and it, it's with people that do your job every day. And one of the things and one of the ways in which we share these ideas are by creating affinity groups for school size or, okay, we have culinary schools or religious-based institutions, one-person counseling centers where it's only one person providing the service. Because there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And if somebody else has tried something, I'm going to be 100% honest and, and say that when we were struggling with long wait times to get in for your initial appointment, I reached out to some of my colleagues who are in similar schools and took bits and pieces of their ideas and created what was going to work for us. Mm. So being able to make those phone calls and, and, and having a, a conversation with somebody to say, hey, here's where we're struggling. What is, what's been working for you? What didn't work for you? And then being able to not have to just try to create it from scratch. Another um, example of how it helped me is uh, we're a trimester school, Union College, and our spring break was a little bit later than everybody else's spring break when the pandemic was starting to roll in 2020. So I was watching everybody else preparing for extended spring breaks and what might happen. And that allowed me to have a whole plan that I was able to forward to my vice president before anything even impacted our campus to say, okay, if we have to go remote, if we're going to two week spring break. And I had a whole plan for all these different scenarios in her uh, inbox before anything even remotely happened anywhere near our campus. So I do think professional organizations for mental health, and, and again, mine, mine is ACCD, are, are only beneficial. Absolutely. That's a great example. We've Everyone's gotten very good at planning, I can imagine, and <laughs> among your colleagues, because that's that's been such a part of what you've been doing the, the last few years. So we're running out of time, but I did want to ask you, Dr. Hodling, if this is a big one, and we'll give you a few minutes, or a few seconds anyway. You're involved, again, industry-wide and on your own campus with what may be one of the most important issues of our time, which is the mental health and the increasing problems in mental health in teens and young adults, which again present in the college years. If there was one thing that you could change or gain, either for yourself there or for the industry, what might it be? Well, that's a great question. You can say money. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a part of it. We are losing very good people to private practice because private practice pays more. So I, I think that's part of it. I think what we need to do is look at, at what's happening right now as opportunity, and, and let's not lose this opportunity. Let's start addressing mental health at a younger age and not just saying kids are going to be kids or you know th this is just a 14-year-old acting like a 14-year-old. Let's start looking at it and treating it at a younger age and helping students address developmental concerns and more serious concerns before they get to campus. So I think one of the things that I, I would change, if at all possible, would be just the perception around mental health. It's no different. And this is something that I think most people would, would agree with. It's no different than if you break your leg. You're going to need crutches. You're going to need a cast. Sometimes that happens to a broken heart, anxiety, your brain just isn't working the right way. 
but we, we still stigmatize it. So I, I, this is a tough one, one solution because I think part of it is we, we did this to ourselves. Counseling centers did this to ourselves. We did say we could be everything to everyone. And now all of a sudden we have to start saying we can't be. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to change a little bit is the culture and the culture of reducing stigma, the culture of who to go to for help. And again, the creating a community of care on your campus so that everybody knows that there are academic support services, coaches, like you've said, deans that they can go to, faculty. And I, I think faculty fear that they're going to say the wrong thing. And it's not just faculty. I think a lot of people think that they're going to say the wrong thing. And as long as you're being supportive and empathic, you're not going to say the wrong thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even saying it's okay to not be okay, you know, it can go a long way with someone who feels that they're the only person who has these feelings. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Hodeling. And thank you also for the work that you do on behalf of this incredibly important field. So come back again on the quadcast. We love having you and have a great day. You too. Thank you. This has been The Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.